This is the Future of Security Operations podcast brought to you by Tynes. This show is dedicated to empowering SecOps leaders to reimagine how their teams work so they can scale their security efforts and build a team that achieves more with less. In each episode, we'll learn from a security leader who has found a way to free their team from tedious manual tasks and remove the barriers that are preventing them from doing high-value strategic work that truly matters. We'll learn from their mistakes, distill their best practices, and leave you with actionable insights that you can immediately put to work with your team. I'm your host, Thomas Kinsler, COO and co-founder of Tynes. Now, let's jump right into today's show. Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening to another episode of the Future of Security Operations podcast. Today, I'm speaking with SAP's Security Operations Advisor, Jay Foden van Velsen. Jay, thanks for chatting with me today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background, and some of the work you do at SAP? Sure. So currently, I'm a Security Operations Advisor for the Multicloud team. The last three years, I actually built up that team as SAP grew in public cloud landscapes from, you know, it's basically 10 times bigger than when I started in May 2019. Before that, I was the SAP OT security SME, which was a a really interesting and surprisingly useful, actually, as a preparation for cloud security in really strange ways. And before that, I had a long career in various roles in consulting, mostly around analytics, but at some point in global roles. Now, to go really far back, I'm a microcomputer kid. 1984, <laughs> ZX Spectrum ran out of 16K even, like I'm not one of the cool kids, and filled it up with uh, code and then got into opcodes. And that's kind of how security started, actually, as a 14-year-old. That's further back than I can remember and even uh, have knowledgeable conversations about. So we may start a little bit more recent, but even uh, just, I think most people know SAP, but the scale you operate at is insane. I think SAP is probably one of those companies that most people have heard of, but don't know too much about. Can you tell us maybe just a little bit about the scale, either of the multi-cloud, but just in general for SAP? Yeah. So SAP is a giant software company that most people don't know about because you kind of have to work for a large corporation to use its software. So it's basically business software, enterprise resource planning, but the portfolio goes very wide, like logistics, manufacturing. Like it basically makes the world run in many ways. And there is some metric that says something like, you know, 80, 90% of financial transactions run through an SAP system somewhere, which is like mind blowing. So SAP used to mostly build on-premise software where other people deployed it and ran it themselves. And you know, by now, like a long time ago, we started running our own landscapes, cloud, and then SAP started getting kind of into public cloud around 2015. And that goes like everybody did at the time, you know, let's use it for development landscapes and turn into like, okay, we actually need to get some control over this. And that created the multi-cloud team is, and I believe in 2017 to basically be the central governance and funnel for SAP developer teams, frankly, anyone in the organization that wanted to use a cloud account to go through that central team. It's not that many people that can do that. Like, you know, sometimes it's independent. Part of the reason also was that we're by definition multi-cloud. This is a strategic decision where it's like uh, the historic thing on in SAP always was you can have it on any database that you want as long as it's market viable. 
So customers pick winners, not SAP. And they did essentially the same with public cloud. So we run on AWS, Azure, GCP, Ali Cloud, AWS China, and Azure China. And I always say the last two separate because if you know, those are nothing like the global no. versions. We have a we have a couple of customers that are in a similar situation, and yeah, completely uh, completely different, and also completely different regulations that you have to adhere to. So the Europeans have GDPR, and I know the Chinese have something similar, but that causes a number of other challenges. Opportunities is how they might might put That's it. Right. But, uh, Plus, you get to deal with interesting stuff like you know cross-border traffic between China and the rest of the world is a really interesting, fun topic. Especially if you work in security. So absolutely fascinating. I'm sure you've seen some incredible scale, but also huge growth. But how would you describe the state of security operations today? We've went through quite significant growth within the team itself, right? Like So we went from about four or five in SecOps in 2019 when I started to about 25 today. So that means that you can do a whole lot more than we did initially. I think part of the challenges is that it's really difficult for people to get the cloud part. And that's what we spend a lot of time on. But, you know, we have a lot of colleagues in other areas, in business units, in security that have different roles. For instance, our security incident response colleagues, they really react to you know, cell phones, laptops, you know, data center and cloud, and we assist them on the cloud side. And, you know, that works really well so that you bring that domain expertise in. I think I I hadn't been quite prepared, like how different public cloud is in how you apply security and what you can do, for instance, like there's things you can do in public cloud that are almost impossible to do in data centers. And things that are fairly easy in data centers are really difficult sometimes in public cloud. And I think that's what we're all still figuring out, right? Like, I think the strangest thing is that even today, there's a lot of good recommendations about, like, you know, use this tool or use that tool. But if you actually look for what is security operations in public cloud, like, you can come to your podcast and a few others, but there's really not much out there. Even the certification audit requirements often are not written with public cloud even in mind. Yeah, not only that, it's, it's very frustrating and very, um, like I understand it, but it's a little bit hard to understand how as an industry we haven't evolved a little bit faster. But yeah, you know, if you go to a lot of conferences, you'll hear some great talks, but you'll still much more likely watch a talk about, you know, some Kerberosting or a threat against Active Directory rather than a threat against like Azure or GCP. Completely, completely which is correct. What I thought was fascinating that last year, I was thinking back of what was the conference that was most directly relevant to me and you know we spoke there and that was fun but just in the overall did i watch everything that was out there that was chefconf yeah there you go that really struck me like you know i went through defcon black hat you know like other sessions and it's like okay that's kind of interesting but if i just looked at the aggregate of what was actually relevant to me in secops that was primarily there And I just want to highlight as well here, that's not just because you're operating at the scale that SAP are operating on. It's true for everybody who's using a cloud right now that it's really, really hard to figure out what best practices are, figure out what you need to secure. And you can purchase some CSPM tools, but that doesn't get you all of the way there. It doesn't get you... uh... Exactly. And to clarify, like I'm talking about ChefConf as a like InfoSec conference. It's not. 
right? It's DevOps, DevSecOps. And yes, there's a lot of compliance in there, but like even from the other speakers, I felt like, you know, there was stuff that I could use or stuff that seemed similar to what we were doing. Whereas I feel a lot of the more traditional cybersecurity outside of things like KubeCon and stuff like that, right? Like the Kubernetes security is super exciting area. I want to dive in on some of the challenges you're facing. I don't want to know anything about incidents or anything like that, but you were running the Sec DevOps team within the multi-cloud operations team for SAP. You have to have been building detections for a whole lot of different types of attacks. Before diving into how you built out some of those detections, can you tell us like what you were concerned about and what you wanted to build detections for, I suppose? So SAP is a really good security policy organization that defines what is important, what must be done, and what should be done in a variety of different areas of public cloud infrastructure for OS, for, you know, specific for Linux and so on, and for each cloud provider in this particular case. And you should think of these as kind of abstractions of like CIS benchmarks, of SOC 2 requirements, PCI DSS requirements to create a harmonized set, you know, European requirements, China requirements, like something that is reasonable enough and can cover you know, a good portion of the security and compliance requirements that people expect from us. The important thing is to make sure that, like, is that actually adhered to, right? Mm-hmm. And now we get into the SecOps area where everything that's big becomes harder. Like, I remember coming in and everybody jokes that, like, Excel is sort of the SecOps or the security tool of choice, right? And I did the usual thing and found out within an hour that there was way too much stuff to do in Excel. Yep. And that was kind of a hard lesson where you just realize, okay, everything is going to be scripted. Everything is going to be automated in some way. Data pipelining, all of that, my analytics background definitely helped with that as well. But the whole purpose ultimately was to how do we create a data pipeline to make alerts usable, right? Like there was a separate effort in uh, that is the quality of the alerts good? Everybody knows that challenge. But the bigger challenge that we have is like, how do we get the alert in the hand in the right place when there's like 25,000 people or so that somehow touch a cloud account in the company? How do you get it to the person that can do something about it? How do you know that their boss knows and that their boss knows and that ultimately the board member can even figure out like what's the state of their landscapes. And just so we're clear, we're talking about even basic enough things like, hey, this bucket has been, you know, made public or disk volume hasn't been encrypted. And what you need to do is you need to get that alert in the hands of the owner of that bucket or the owner of that volume and say, hey, this is something that you need to you need to care about. Well, I'm trying to do that when you have like no, millions I, I, and millions I, I'm of not, resources, I, right? Like, I'm no, in no way trying to minimize it. Exactly. Yeah. But that, to a certain extent, I feel like that is security operations, right? Like yep. people get a lot of things in their head of what it might be. And yes, we deploy tools and yes, we run scans. But like I would, you know, and he might disagree with it because, of course, the compliance as code itself is a big effort to get that properly in line with the, a continuing change in policy. But you know, getting mailers out to the right people, creating dashboards that people can look at that are like drillable through the organizational hierarchy. That is what actually enables remediation and enforcement processes. Before you have that, it's nice, but you're basically playing games. Yeah, we've talked a lot about this with other guests on the podcast, but one of the things that kind of came up was that communication and like, you know, working with your global communications team, say, here's here's how we're going to do it. But having your documentation for 
here's what our standard is, here's how you go about it. When you're operating at a scale where there's thousands of people that own various different devices, you have to, you can't be responding to every single alert in any way. Uh, in this any is way, true. Really. This is true. But like, what is really important is that community interaction. Yeah. Right. So every Tuesday, twice a day to make sure that we cover everybody. We have run now for the last three years our multi-cloud security office hours where we take people through the weekly changes, board area by board area for high and mediums, how we track the targets, any changes in the policy, but also any interaction between teams that say like, hey, I have a particular issue with this control. And that has really led to the cloud security policies to be very dynamic, not just because the APIs change on a regular basis, but more even so in the interaction with line of businesses where I wouldn't call them necessarily negotiations as if we're trying to like bring the policy down, but there's this constant adjustment of like, you know, is this something that's really as important? How much effort does it require by the teams to, to do it? Right. Like we had some issues that's actually playing right now about, you know, is port 80 an infrastructure port? And obviously the goal is to not have unencrypted traffic, but we have other controls that verify that TLS is set, you know, on one, two and higher. And virtually every time we talk to a line of business about this particular alert, it's like, yeah, it's only open for a redirect to 443. Well, that's a good thing. Right. So like we're now going to drop that particular control to figure out if we can cover that in another area. So that dynamic of you know constant interaction is like every two weeks we probably have a policy adjustment. And that sounds like you know frightening and unstable, but it's actually in response to the change and pace of the environment and the interaction with our you know customers, internal customers really. I feel like this could be an opportunity to dive into IoT and uh, like traffic over port 80. But instead, I might, I might say you mentioned Chef earlier and you've done a huge amount of work with Chef and Chef Inspect. But can you tell us like, how do you automate that process? How do you get those alerts in the hands of the right person? Yeah, it's actually where I would say most of the effort is. Like it got to yeah. a point, in fact, that the team itself said like, hey, we need to find a different name for this solution because people calling it Chef. But there's all this stuff around it that we build. That is really sort of the secret sauce, right? Like nothing, you know, to denigrate chef. We'll certainly say like chef is spec-based engine, right? But the real secret sauce is one of the things that's the most brilliant part and that goes to like, you know, some of this big need that we have of getting it in that right hands is first of all, we have very strict processes in place to keep metadata for cloud accounts up to date. So your billing information has to be correct. Owner, security officer, and a series of security attributes, like does it contain customer data? What kind of landscape is it? Is it certification relevant? And, and so on. That needs to be kept up to date. If you don't do that, at least six months, we will actually send you threatening emails that we're going to lock your account and potentially delete it. That was by order of the chief security officer, but that was, turned out to be very effective. And through the cost object, we can run a daily lookup into a core system in the company that translate that into an organizational hierarchy. So that gets refreshed every day. Now, when we get alerts, we enrich that with data from that cloud account database. We store it with that information. What this actually means is that we store the alert with the state of the company at the time of the alert which actually over time becomes really important because it's a very big organization and it does at least 
two, three reorgs on a large level and probably a couple of ones within teams, right? So being able to see that drift is very important and making sure that that keeps up to date is, of course, important because people change roles, leave company, and you have to keep that assignment and that ownership up to date all the time. That then goes into like mailers for our account owners and security officers. We create exports that go to more central teams that don't own accounts but oversee things. We have dashboards. We have an API that people can use to like pull the right alerts and get it in their own automation because there's about like three different ways different teams do that. That's kind of the idea. It's like, how do you get in the right hand, create reporting out of it because you have these drillable exports you can get it into executive reporting for board area level and security CISO and chief security officers and then all the way down the hierarchy down to team level it's like you know this is your stuff right like we have a separate call with board area COOs and BSOs business information security officers Mm -hmm. where they hear like how their units are doing and they have access to the same data so that they can track it down through their organizations like, hey, we do actually expect you to fix this, right? So you have this continuous feedback loop that's enabled through yep. just that entire data pipeline. I love it. You basically built an entire separate product here. Uh, that's right. Yep. Any plans to make that available to uh, to the rest of the world? Not at this moment. Like There has been obvious discussions around that, but it's very unique to the landscape. Yeah, it makes sense. And it's tied to the organization in such a tight way. Like, you know, that's somewhat disappointing to say, but it's also why I would encourage others to sort of do the same, right? Like yeah. you have to make this work for your own organization and everybody is structured a bit differently. It's also where like a product like Tynes is, can do a lot of that. Not everything there, but you know, a lot of that automation, fetch the alerts, contact the users, yeah, you know, ping somebody on Slack or on Teams or whatever and say, Hey, your, you know, disk volume and storage bucket is not encrypted correctly. It is all very automatable, yeah. but you do need to put in a huge amount of a, a huge amount of effort for it. I suppose kind of on that, in the past, you've led teams responsible for secure software development life cycles and, and threat modeling and security by design. But for teams that are starting out or are just not necessarily realizing, but coming to terms with the scale of the problem, what do you recommend they do? How do they start tackling the challenge? See, this is a really hard question because I think yeah, to a certain, yeah, like I think part of the problem is is that we had people coming into the cloud that knew when it was young and unstable, but they really, really wanted to, right? And they really wanted to adopt the cloud mindset and you know live with that, right? Like notoriously Kubernetes when it wasn't even production ready, and the teams themselves said like, "Don't use it; it's an experiment." There was like, "Oh crap." people actually running production workloads, right? But that takes a certain amount of guts. We're now getting into the area where, you know, we were obviously a little bit further ahead, otherwise you don't get big so quickly. But there's a lot of teams that are now moving into public cloud that didn't want to, but they are told to, right? Like that sounds like maybe nasty, but you know, most people that do the actual work are probably not the ones that decided, yeah, man, we're going to go into public cloud and we're going to build like cloud native CI CD pipelines and build everything on Kubernetes, right? Like there's a lot of legacy out there and a lot of people just move stuff like as fast as possible on some kind of executive directive, right? So how to get that right, I think is really challenging. What we're trying to do is, you know, for instance, like provide the good code examples, remediation, like Terraform templates and so on, 
that. You steer people into the right direction. But I think it's very tough to come in new to a landscape that you don't know, where you think it's like a data center and you just run a couple of VMs, but it behaves very differently. It behaves very differently from cloud to cloud. And then you throw Kubernetes on top of that. And that's a whole lot of more complexity that people don't know. So like navigating that and working towards secure by default infrastructure provisioning is, I think, the direction to go so that when somebody says like, hey, give me a Kubernetes system, then we'll provision a secure by default cloud account and a hardened Kubernetes. There's a team in SAP called Kima that's doing really good work in there where they provide essentially uh, serverless and they basically take care of the entire landscape underneath so that developer teams can focus on their application code. And I think that's probably where I would like to see more effort go so that not like developers who want to build a website have to suddenly figure out like how to configure a firewall. I don't think that's no necessarily wise. I know it's kind of related. You've written a lot of great content, but one of the pieces that I was reading recently was about the cloud security skills gap and trying to attract more people into security so that we can solve some of the challenges you're identifying. How are SAP approaching that? And how do you recommend, like, you can hire diverse candidates, but build up a, a pipeline. What can be done to help solve that in the context of security? We found our way a bit through this, but, you know, I also have some strong opinions about this. But it's really started with the fact that we call ourselves Sec DevOps, and nobody yeah. knows what that is. Three years ago, they didn't know what it is. And then, you know, even get interviewers come on and then basically describe DevSecOps. And we go like, yes, we do that too. That's kind of circular, but we're Sec DevOps, security in a DevOps way. Okay. And in the process, we're also DevSecOps when we're building our tooling. So we kind of got into this weird thing where we either got security candidates or we got DevOps and cloud candidates. <laughs> and that actually worked out really well because you simply went like, okay, it's unlikely that we're confined people that have all of these skills already together. Especially if you're like, if you start looking for like cloud security operations expert, okay, now you're in a particular bracket, right? If instead you're looking for like, you know, give interviews to people that have sometimes odd resumes or don't have their CISSP if they're six months in the industry, right? That's obviously a bit of a joke, but, um, oh, yeah. but you know, like you can put requirements on a job to a point where you will never find a candidate. And we found candidate both internal and external that were in either supports or in infrastructure operations or somebody that had a passion for security for several years, but, you know, and hadn't found their way in or spend time in university studying something and getting into their first role. And doing that across the globe, you know, brings in a mix of people with DevOps skills, people with cloud skills, people with security skills, and, you know, everybody kind of learns together, right? Like one of the things that we found is that everything goes so quick that if you ask for somebody who's like, hey, GCP specialist, cool. All right, that's GCP today. You know, like we have gone like with this group three years. Some of them has been with us for like you know, quite some time now where when they came in, they didn't know these things either. Right. And now, you know, they can talk with any, you know, hardcore cloud provider engineer at similar level. And that's that's astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. But it also just kind of highlights how young the industry is and how hard it is to find those experts and how you can learn so quickly if you're given that opportunity. 
There was a recent podcast, the Google's Cloud Security podcast, like when they just gone to RSA and they mentioned, you know, a couple of chats about like the size of the VPN market, but like it sort of brought home to them. And this might be a bit harder if you're in GCP because you sort of think a certain way. It's like, wow, we're really at the beginning of cloud migration and cloud security. And, and I can only agree, right? Like the reason why we try to like speak on conferences and bring stuff out is just to sort of explain how this stuff is done practically, right? Rather than, you know, some good ideas, articles that you might find. I think the scale of the challenge though, and certainly when dealing with the number of alerts that I'm, I'm sure you and your team have dealt with, it really can cause burnout. Like you've had a team of, you know, 25 people or so. What were some of the things you did to address that challenge and create a more of environment? So I think this is actually kind of interesting because like, while of course it's true, like everybody who's in SecOps or in, you know, specifically even more security incident response, which is also stuff that we uh, get involved with, there's sort of this burden that never really goes away. Yeah. But at the same time, because we're so metrics driven, right? It's actually really encouraging. Like there's very few places in security where you can measure where not everything is freaking secret and you're largely dependent on what happens from outside, where you can have success and measure how well you're doing, right? Like we can actually talk to our execs because we're bringing the alerts generally downwards while the size of the landscape increases, right? That's a pretty good story to be able to tell. So we actually take quite a lot of encouragement within the team, uh, the fact that you can actually show that you're doing something, right? It's every day, day a little bit, but you're actually making progress. And I think that helps a lot when you know, I think some other security functions can be you know, more depressing even. 100%. It's so rare that security people have any good news. It's Yeah, one of the reasons we like talking about automation is that automation is really exciting. It is like, hey, we're getting better and we're removing these alerts. Yeah, yeah you say automation a lot. And I just want to add something in there because there's something that happened in the team. Like it's a dynamic that happened before, but it's just something that struck me when it occurred. Like there was a request from one of our line of businesses or actually two to do a particular thing. What it was is not particularly important. But I sat with five of the team members and they just bounced around like what the solution could be to this particular problem. And I realized that everything they were brainstorming about was how to minimize the operational load yeah. to the point of preferably have nothing. Right? They even got to like, okay, we can send an email. Yeah, but will that email generate a question? Well, they can we put a a ticket link it. Well, no, let's not do that. Right. So and it actually went like in about you know 10 minutes, it turned out like, okay, we need to park this. We need to tell our customers, this is going to be a much bigger problem simply based on this approach of, we can't do anything that creates ticketing work or like if there's an approval that needs to be done or somebody needs to man- like intervene because a particular thing is happening. Okay. But the general approach should be self-serve we send you something click on something and you get something done or transport alerts in one way or the other to people where they need to be so that you avoid you know creating a help desk that somehow needs to scale with the size of the landscape because that's not doable 
Yeah, that's like that's proper security operations, right? Yeah, it's incredible that you team are thinking about that. You must have the such a good culture for people to be able to to come up with those ideas. It's really where the people are able to put their head above the parapet. Uh, well, I think that that's part of that talent gap story as well, right? Like, there's people that come into the team from all kinds of different areas. Like, there's one guy on the team that actually fell out of security altogether for family reasons, and we brought him back in because he had skills and talent, right? Like, there's all kinds of people that bring different perspectives. We even have different age groups. I'm you know, a little bit older, there's mm-hmm. young, but there's all kind of layers in between. Everybody's from different part of the world, pretty much. You therefore get much more different engagement. And nobody, there isn't something where somebody can overrule, right? Like this thing of like you have somebody new join the team and they ask a question. Better everybody know the answer to that question, because if they don't, that probably signals that maybe we should do it better, right? Like, so either you can explain this is why we do it for these and these reasons, or maybe it, as part of that, you actually find out like, hmm, you're right, maybe we could do something else. So that interaction is really important to keep that alive. And the more diversity and the more backgrounds, like some people come from a hardcore Linux background, right? That's, you know, me, I know a little bit about Linux. Others know Kubernetes, right? Yeah. The two suddenly realize like, wait, Kubernetes is basically just Linux namespaces. Now we have both a much better understanding of everything, right? And I think that's how we improve. It's yeah, it's like encouraging people to yeah not criticize, not find blame, but to yet yeah, to cooperate to uh, have a, a positive. Uh, that's a positive right. Like that was all, all of those conversations. Philosophy. Somebody wants to shout at us, you can shout at me. Yeah, Don't shout at the team. There's no need for that. They're all trying to do their very best, right? That's my role. <laughs> I think, like, obviously, you got a ton of experience, but what advice would you share with people who are leading security operations? Work on the basics. Basics first. Like, don't let your head spun by the next guy that says that you need this or that you need that. You know, we all know the acronyms and that's fine, but like, look at it whether it's actually going to do something for you and whether you can operationalize it, right? Like, it's very easy to think that a tool will save you, but the Sad reality is that without that data pipelining that I just talked about, you know, it doesn't really matter that much. I think another thing to bear in mind is that a lot of the existing security tooling that you may have may not be that suitable for public cloud. And you may want to consider that to be legacy. You know, there's a couple of really interesting agent plus based solutions out there because when you can do things that leverage the cloud API or the capabilities of the platform itself, it's always going to work a little bit better, right? Like one of the things that for security operations is important is how do you deploy tools? Do you need to go team by team and ask them, please, can you deploy this within your image? Or do you do that? Hey, we are going to announce it. You don't have to do anything. This is deployed by organizational role in the cloud provider, and we will let you know when it's done. Which one do you think is going to deploy sooner, result into alerts faster, and get operationalized sooner, right? Like there's one team putting it in place, getting it up, getting data into uh, the scene. I'd argue even using the word sooner is not uh, not applicable there. Which one's going to deploy is... Uh, exactly right. The final one, like security budgets are never as large as people want them to be, right? And there is an enormous amount of open source 
tech-based tooling yeah. out there as well. So if you're on a really tight budget, especially when you look into the cloud native and the, the whole CNCF landscape, there's you know a lot of things that you could look at and try out. One thing that we found a bit is that you know there's sort of this thing where in the past maybe we looked at open source almost as a reason to show why you had to get the expensive one because it was so much better than the open source one, right? And I think we're starting to like think about that a little bit more differently because of the work we did in CSPM where you go like, well, if I look at the open source tool plus the people that would need to like maintain, build and run it, maybe I can build the capacity ourselves, right? Like, especially since we're multi-cloud, part of the reason to go this way was, you know, if you already have a tool and they don't support AliCloud and they don't see a business ever to do that on AliCloud, you know, you can maybe request that when you first do the negotiation, but otherwise it suddenly becomes a different story if there's no interest. And I'm like, I'm saying that this particularly happened, right? But we have to be prepared for yeah. the future that some cloud gets chosen where your vendor isn't interested. And we found that, you know, by being able to contribute to that ourselves, you have suddenly control over your own destiny in a way that otherwise you wouldn't have. Yep. Makes a ton of sense. And I think you've definitely got the resources to help make those implementations successful. I suppose as a final question, when you're looking at the future, obviously the cloud has changed a lot over the last few years, but five years from now, what do you think a security operation team will look like? I'm going to give a cheeky answer and say like a cloud, a year or a quarter in cloud is like a year. So I'm going to give you a prediction for like mid-23. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> or I'll like take it. M23. And that is, is that I think we're going to get to a point where people are starting to realize that we have to do things in a different way, right? I think there's an increasing understanding that a lot of the problems that we're trying to solve really boil down to the way how we deploy and run software. So, you know, get into cloud native CICD pipeline. Like one of the worst things about remediation exercises is when somebody does it in the admin console and at the next deployment, the bad configuration just gets overwritten, right? Like, and, you know, if you need to make a remediation, but your deployment cycle takes like a month, right? Then what are you going to do in the meantime? Or can you? do something to patch immediately, right? Like, So be able to adapt more quickly to changes in the landscape and respond to issues through infrastructure as code, through deployment files, run it quickly through your pre-prod, run a regression test if nothing breaks, and then push it out again in a way that doesn't require downtime, right? Like you're just going to run out of time I think that like what we found is something that's really scary. It was scary to me when I found because it's sort of like part of the reason why we want to talk about this. The people on the SecOps team who touch the cloud every day are learning faster than the people that are coming new into the landscape. It's sort of like think of an expanding universe, right? Like one rocket goes out first, the second rocket goes later, but he never catches up with the first and the yeah. distance is only getting getting bigger right and this is what i'm afraid of is like we have to really get into you know this cloud native mindset as fast as possible 
Otherwise, you're just going to fall behind. Like, it's not for nothing that I say, like, we think a quarter feels like a year, right? Like, yep. I kind of have, like, Christmas feelings after the end of the quarter, and it's the middle of the year. So if you don't keep up with that, right, whether it's even within the pace of the landscape itself, right? Like, you know, just over the last quarter, we had to adjust controls because Azure does storage accounts in a different way now, right? So it doesn't stop. Right. Like we've seen this before with this idea, like cloud migration, we're very busy for a while, then we're done and then we go back to normal. It's like realize that it will never, ever end. That's uh, you're not wrong, but it means that there's always going to be security jobs and there's always going to be a huge amount to learn. Jay, unfortunately, that's all the time we're going to have to cover today. But before you wrap up, I've really enjoyed, I suppose, reading your blogs and following and learning a little bit more about your journey. If other people wanted to keep up, where should they go? So, like with a name like this, you, this is a really hard answer to give. So <laughs> I hope that you have something like on the podcast that allows people to just copy paste that in LinkedIn and find me on Twitter. I'm at uh, J A Y T H B V. Uh, that's probably a little bit easier. I'm not going to do emails because then we're literally <laughs> spelling with dots and stuff, but you can figure it out dots in between and then at sap.com. Awesome. And if you, so as Google your name, you'll find a, a bunch of, a bunch of great blogs with advice on how you have approached the challenges that, that, that you're solving that are really, uh, really well worth checking out. Jay, thank you so much again. And I really hope to have you on again in the future. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. Thanks so much, Thomas. Thanks for listening to the Future of Security Operations podcast by Tynes. If you enjoyed today's show, please do us a favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast platform. For additional episodes, visit tynes.com slash podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about how Tynes Automation Platform can transform your security operations team, visit tynes.com. Thanks again, and I'll catch you on the next episode.